Hello, welcome to episode 14 of Wealth Talk. My name is Christian Rodwell, the Membership Director for Wealth Builders, and I am joined by Mr. Kevin Whelan, the founder of Wealth Builders. Hi there, Chris. How's it going today? Well, it's been pretty manic this week because we've just launched the foundation program and it's been exciting, right? We've had so many people contacting us, wanting to know more, mm. jumping on board. We've just done a Facebook Live today. So it's all, it's all action go at the moment. And uh, yeah, welcome to all of the new foundation members, all our founder members. Yeah, it's cool. I'm looking forward to working with them and I put my reputation on the line, Chris, so we better deliver. That's it. Got a double money back guarantee there, which yeah. uh, all the details are, are up on the website anyway. So um, in fact, probably when you're listening to this, the launch period, the initial discount period will be over. Yeah. But um, if there's still some places left, then you can head on over to wealthbuilders.co.uk forward slash launch, find out details about the foundation program there. And uh, if there's still <coughs> time, jump on board and be part of that with us. Yeah, but you know that there are still people out there who kind of know they want to do uh, create more wealth. They know that they can jump onto our resource and get a step-by-step process, but they come back with those drifty questions, Chris, which is, you know, what about Brexit? Is it the right time to do things? What about, you know, Mr. Carney is going to be replaced at some point? What about if interest rates go up? You know, and in, in isn't the stock market an all-time high? We've had a 10-year bull run. That's bound to come crashing down around our knees. So shouldn't I just, whoa, and just stop everything and sit on my hands and yeah. wait for a better time? Yes. Yeah. What a bunch of questions that is. Well, we did say in last episode of Wealth Talk that we were going to move on and start diving into each of the seven pillars. Yeah. However, we've had these questions coming up quite regularly now. Yeah. And we thought we'd better address these before someone really focuses on those assets and the pillars. Yeah, particularly as um, the initial assets that we'll be talking about, the home capacity asset, the pension asset, and the investment assets, you know, they're pretty much determined largely, Chris, by what happens in markets, mm. you know, the property market and the value of property, you know, and how's that going? And the interest rate market and the mortgage cost market and the stock market and so forth. You know, and the thing about markets is that's what they do. Markets rise, markets fall. And one of the challenges, and it's a really important principle, which is why I wanted to do this podcast before we dive deep, is because there's still a principle that we really need to nail. And I don't think we've nailed it in a previous episode, which is this. If you can learn to be the person who's part of the value, in other words, part of the value add, you do something that creates value, then you're not delegating your way to anything. You're not relying on if this does that. You're relying on yourself being able to bring value. And the way you bring value is to think about how your wealth dynamic the way that you naturally bring value or the way that you can explore bringing value can drive your own personal economy. So you do something that forces value, you know, so that when you do that, you're in control of that value. Even if markets go down, there's still ways, 
You're looking puzzled, Chris. It's like I need to give you some examples. <laughs> I'm just thinking that when you can get to that point, it must give you an unbelievable feeling of certainty. So that's a great point. So if you think about somebody getting on in their life and they're thinking about downsize and the, and the property market crashes, and then they're just about to draw their pension, you know, they've had the tax-free cash to stick a few quid in the bank, and then they want to draw their pension and the stock market crashes. Mm -hmm. And then interest rates are low, so they can't even get any decent return on their savings, kind of like now. And how certain is life? It's entirely uncertain. So certainty doesn't come from thinking about markets. It comes from thinking about uh, flowing value. And wealth flows to value. And we talked about this in many of our previous podcasts, that wealth flows to value. Should we talk about some examples where individuals can mm. create value? Yeah, well, let's look at perhaps in, in the different pillars, you could give some examples. Well, you know, you can you can create value in, uh, in every pillar, uh, really, except, you know, it's very difficult to create value, let's say, in the stock market, but I can certainly show anybody ways to mitigate the risk of the crash in the stock market. So while you can't wake up tomorrow and fancy buying a pair of Nike trainers, then all of a sudden, you know, Nike shares are going to go up. That's not going to happen. So you can't really do anything about that. So which is why the stock market is not a great place to build wealth. It's a place where you might want to start your journey. If you're, you know, just building some trackers, you're building some traction, if you like. But the real way to build wealth comes from the entrepreneurial pillars, the pillars uh, the, the, we refer to assets as pillars, right? We've talked about that before. Yeah. So, you know, um, the pillars that you can do extraordinary things are the pillars of property, mm -hmm. the pillars of business, yeah. the pillars of intellectual property, and the pillars of joint ventures. Because in each one of those, you know, you can do something yourself that even if the market goes down, you've driven value into your life, either in cash or in some form of appreciation. Should I give you some examples? Please do. Yeah. So so let's say, you know, um, okay, let, let's give you another example, another parallel, just before I do that. If, let's say, you know, you've got money, um, your savings, and, and the savings are in the stock market, and the stock market crashes, and you're drawing money at, fixed level you need a certain level or, or you're drawing money based on the return you get you know so you the market gives you four percent so you spend four percent the market gives you six percent so you spend six percent if the market crashes and it goes down by 10 15 20 percent or whatever then the very definition of that if you're trying to keep your money in the right keep the same value is your income will go down so you your your income is coupled it's interconnected inextricably linked to the value of the asset you hold, which is the stock market. Well, let's let's flip that. Let's say you've got money in the in a, a property that you, you rent out, right? And we won't go into the details of different property strategies, but, but let's say you do that. And the property market falls and your property goes down by 10, 15, or 20%. The rental income doesn't. So you're still accumulating rent and, you know, there's no relationship, certainly not immediately, that says property markets fall and everybody pays less rent. It doesn't. 
or it doesn't work that way. So automatically you've decoupled, mm-hmm. you've disconnected um, the, the value of your income from the value of the asset. Now, the ways that you can force appreciation, you can create value. Well, first of all, you have to be educated enough to do it. Always begins with education. Well, it always does and always will. Um, but the education, let's say, in property. So, well, let's give you an, e- an easy example. You know, I was uh, talking with um, some property developers I really like recently out in um, in Tunbridge Wells, and they were saying, you know, they've got eight strategies to add value. Okay. Now, let, let me give you a couple of those so I don't mm. steal their thunder if we ever get them on a podcast soon. But one of those might be, so there's been a massive change in the world as far as property is concerned, let's say in pubs, mm-hmm. right? You know, pubs used to be a place where people would go and accumulate um, and they'd, they'd socialize and they'd smoke and they'd drink and all those things. But increasingly, you know, pubs are just no longer viable. So let's say, you know, you um, you don't have to be the owner of the pub or the owner of the asset because you can joint venture it. So let's say, you know, somebody knows how to do that and they buy a pub and they get permission to turn that into apartments. And the apartments are being sold to first-time buyers mm-hmm. with help to buy. So there's a demand. The demand is not really going to be affected that level by Brexit or by interest rates necessarily because young people always need to get on the housing ladder. So what you've done is then you bought something at a price that's commercial pounds per foot. You know, commercial property costs less to buy than residential property. You change the use. You lever the property. You get leverage, in other words. Not just debt leverage, but that would be often the way to do it. But you completely change the value. And by adding value, you've created an incredible extra amount of money. And even if the market crashed a bit, and your typical margin was a 30% or a 25% return on your investment, and the market fell, you're only going to lose a small proportion of that, but you're always going to be positive. Mm. So so the forced appreciation from an example like that, and, and now if we look around, Chris, on the high street, you know, we'll see banks are closing, mm. you know, and they've been converted. Um, and, you know, I've seen dentist surgeries converted and doctor surgeries converted. Even churches are being converted mm. in a kind of bizarre sort of a way. And so what that means is there is plenty of opportunity out there a, to learn how to do it, but B, if you don't want to learn how to do it, you just want to understand it, you can work with somebody who does that, who creates that value, and instead of having your money parked in the stock market in a kind of a static way, you use your money in a more empowering way. So your money comes to life, you get a bigger return on your investment, you get a return on your intellect, if you remember the ROIs. Ah. And, and and if you choose well and you resonate with the people with whom you're working, then you can build that great return on interaction. So, so many different powerful ROIs mm. that create incredible extra value. So even if you never want to be a developer, and I'm not saying everybody wants to be a developer, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you can understand that as an exercise in forced appreciation, in creating more certainty where everybody else is fearful of the uncertainty of markets. Mm. Does that make the point? It does. And we have a number of examples of members in the Wealth Builders community in the Facebook group sharing similar stories. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah. That's a great example, Kevin. Yeah. Okay. What about any of the other pillars? Is there another way that you can think someone could add some value or learn how to be a value creator? Yeah. I mean, one of the my favorites is um, understanding the principle of the lifetime value of a client. I don't think I've covered that one before, Chris, so that might be a new one. So would this be in the business? Bill? Yes, it would hmm. be in business because, well, you, you could actually apply the lifetime value of a client to a property um, because if you built a property portfolio, you could work out, well, good. how long does this property get tenanted? Mm-hmm. And and if you've got a good property, well, it yeah. could be indefinite, right? So that's yeah. probably one of the main reasons why people yeah. like that. But in business, you know, I see a lot of business owners and I'm a, business owner myself and one of the things I notice about business owners is, is there are kind of three types of business owner no it's not the drifters and the DIYs and the dynamics it's three different ones um, that there are those who are almost craftspeople you know people who are doing the job they love mm-hmm. and they do it as if they had a job but they're doing it on their own terms mm-hmm. okay and and that's okay but it doesn't create wealth because you're constantly trading your time for money and you're doing it and then you're invoicing it and then you're checking it and that, that yeah. whole process. So lifestyle businesses, that, that that's you know, not really a great place from a wealth building perspective, but it's great to give time freedom. So that's a good thing. The second are those who, what I call profit chasers. And what I mean by profit chasers is they, they have a business and they do the work and they make profit and then they do the work and they make profit. But it's still trading time for money. You know, and it's not uncommon for accountants to do that or lawyers to do that. It's still an hourly rate, but they've got sort of partners on one hourly rate and like transactional. You know, yeah, yeah, it's it's all it's all transactional. What I prefer to do is look for businesses both to work with, invest in, or build that have a different characteristic altogether, and that's to sit down and look at what is the lifetime value of a relationship with a well-served client where you deliver exactly what you promise and you focus on the consistency of delivering to them the value they are seeking. Now, that was a mouthful, right? So let me break it down. It's self-serving to have a business that focuses on the lifetime value of the client because if you've got a, um, a business, let's say, so we, I have a business, okay, and I'll, I'll mention it because I'm very proud of it. It's a business that uh, provides the the support, both in terms of um, compliance and reporting to uh, SAS trustees, you know, pension trustees, those people who have taken their pension, they've completely changed their relationship with their pension, turned it into a special kind of a pension we call SAS, that that mm-hmm. wonderful small self-administered scheme, which is the worst marketing title in the world. But nonetheless, you know, and we look after a large number of people. Now, let me just give you an example. So let's say, just to make numbers up and make them very round, if the average SaaS client holds their money in their pension for their lifetime, and then they pass it on to their spouse, and then they pass it on to their children because it's a trust fund for the family. Now, even, doesn't matter what time frame you put on it, but if you put on a time frame of 30 years, let's say, then... If they're paying a thousand pounds per year to be in the scheme, that's a thirty thousand pound client for every client who says yes. Mm-hmm. Now, this isn't selfish to say that, 
Because in order to keep a thousand clients happy, you've got to focus continually on adding value. Mm -hmm. So a lifetime value-driven business focuses on adding lifetime value. And when you focus your business that way, so you don't think about the profit, you think about the value. And then if you think about that and do the maths on that, if there's a thousand people at 1,000 a year, that's a million pounds of recurring income year after year after year after year. Now, how much value is that? And how much more value would that be compared to a business that just made a few thousand pounds in profit and focused just on the profit? You see what I mean? Mm. So, so when you focus on value and you look at the lifetime value and you look at how you deliver value, and that's where you start, which is why I love working with new wealth builder clients. And I'm so looking forward to working with the foundation members because we'll encourage as many of them as possible to see the entrepreneurial value in creating ideas like that. You know, so that they begin to see creating lifetime value as a worthwhile cause, not just for a great client and a happy relationship, but it drives incredible value to their business. Yeah. And I'm so looking forward to helping people do that. Yeah. It's a different way of thinking though, isn't it? Well, it is. And we covered this in an earlier episode is the, the employee versus the entrepreneur mindset. So uh, I if you haven't listened to that, then I'm, I'm trying to think which episode that is. Yeah, but we'll link to it in the show notes, that's for sure. But the, yeah. definitely the wealth mindset and also wealth dynamics gives you a wonderful clue as to where you can add value. Yeah, it does. Uh, particularly for you know those on the start of the wealth building journey, because more often than not, you know, I see people kind of get a little bit of education and then they think the way to build wealth is to chase that asset because they've heard of it down the pub that's still open, you know, or, or, or on on some website, you know. So they'll, they'll chase some kind of strategy without really yeah. thinking through, is that right for them? Mm. Are they used to adding that value? Oh. You know, do they somehow now become a novice in the creation of a new asset and forget and discard all of the value they've created in their life up to that point? Mm without taking that into account and, and showing how they could bring that to the table, even in a joint venture. So, you know, if somebody's got a brilliant brain with numbers and, you know, they want to get into property, say, and somebody's brilliant, you know, they meet a property expert who's brilliant at the property but not great at doing the finance, then you can form an allegiance and create value from each other because one needs the other. Mm. And that's, again, where value in wealth comes from. It's yeah. that connectivity between one wealth dynamic and another as well as being in control of where you think your own best value is yeah so wealth dynamics you know clear picture of where you're going um a clear understanding of how you add value and how you add value on a recurring basis or a renewable basis or a lifetime value basis these are all the skills that wealth builders once they do you know and here's the thing if you're in a job or you're in a craftsperson type of a business you know you're used to that trading time for money and and you'll continually do it you'll never ever get off that treadmill in the same way is that's why you know i think you just refer to it as a rat race continually and it is uh, whether you, whatever you're doing but as soon as you can give yourself some focus for say three to five years of focus on this sort of stuff you can be financially independent for the rest of your life whereas you'll always be uncertain if you're chasing the money, 
because the only way then you can, if you don't have something recurring, the only way you can build wealth is save some money, pay the tax on it, and then park it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a slow way to do it. And I'm continually bamboozled at the, the lack of education that's going on uh, in this country, and it flummoxes me. And still now, even though they get exposure to us, they go, oh, what about Brexit? What about this? And and it's it's the drifty mentality that obviously causes me a little bit of frustration. But in the end, we end, we do end up working with those people who can see past that and they want to really focus on how they can do a better job yeah. uh, for themselves to build wealth in whichever pillar. I mean, happy to to dive into any pillar you want, but you know, every single one of them is all about the same thing. Yeah. And when you understand the process of turning the wheel of wealth, which we've discussed on previous episode, and you turn that once and it works and you get recurring income yep. and you've got one pillar in place yep. and then you've got two, yep. three and four. Exactly. Now, not everybody needs to build seven, okay? So it's not about, you know, oh, I've got seven pillars. It's, it's about how many different ways do you need to make it easy for you to build your wealth in a way that suits you with the pillars you want to build for yourself. And what's interesting for me is, you know, somebody could build and choose the same strategy, property, say, as an example, or business, and they could just do the same thing and repeat it. Mm. You know, you don't need to learn something new, except you just need to be aware that have you created enough value so that if some market does change, mm. You've insulated yourself from that as far as is possible. So that's why I always recommend thinking about building multiple pillars. Mm. So then whether the stock market goes up or down, you're really unaffected. Whether interest rates go up or down, you're really unaffected. Yeah. Whether Brexit happens or doesn't happen, you're really unaffected. You might be mildly irritated, you know, and I get mildly irritated from time to time, but never ever worried because Creating wealth in multiple ways makes you financially bulletproof. Mm -hmm. And that's the best place to aim for. And it's a process for a Chris. Anybody can do it as long as they focus on the right things and not get caught up in the trap of, oh, it's all too complicated. Because mm -hmm. it isn't. You just go one step at a time. That's why I love pillars six and seven, the intellectual property and the joint ventures. Because yeah. when you learn how to build a business and you focus on your skills and your strengths and where you deliver value – and it's very easy then to turn that into some kind of intellectual property. Well, exactly. Teach others exactly. And partner with others. And there's additional income streams right there. Yeah. And, you know, what's interesting about that is it's a natural progression, you know, because if you think about the words, and, you know, I'm a, a great student of the English language, Chris, and, and if you think about the word author, it stems or it's the stem of the word authority. So if you become an authority on something, and we've heard people talk about if you master something and spend your 10,000 hours doing something, then you have the right to have authority in that area. And as you build your wealth, you're creating an authority in how you did that. You know, whether it's with like you with the Escape the Rat Race, whether it's with me with the Seven Pillars of Wealth, whether it's some expert property trainer or some expert business buyer or some value they bring to the world mm -hmm. where... They're so good at it, they're so recognized for it, they're sought out. And being sought out then creates enormous value mm. uh, for themselves and also for different ways they can layer even more value on top of that, mm. you know. So you can license things and create a franchise from it, as, um, as has been done in Action Coach, for example. There's just so many different ways, and I look for those ways. 
and wherever possible, you know, see business owners maybe who uh, can't see that recurring income in their business. And I talk to them and say, well, if you're chasing profit, how could you get 5% of your revenue recurring? Mm-hmm. You know, and then start there. Don't just completely change your business model, but could you do a little bit on subscription? Mm-hmm. You know, so subscription as a strategy, I call that, which is my other SaaS. You know, you heard the, <laughs> the SaaS pension, but S-A-A-S, yes. subscription as a strategy is, yes. is what I kind of challenge business owners to think about and yeah. say, how much income are you getting automatically yeah. in your business? And they go, well, none really. Okay, how could you get 5%? Mm. You know, if you're doing a million, how could you get 50 grand automatic? And then just start helping them build little by little by little. And that business is worth infinitely more mm. when you don't need the owner to be there because the money just recurs, recurs, recurs. But you have to focus that way. You have to see yourself about, you know, what that value is you're adding and continue to want to add it yeah. and be proud to do it. Well, I've been privy to a few of those conversations that you've had. <laughs> yes, you've heard them. Within a couple of hours, it's phenomenal, some of the, the ideas and the light bulbs that go off yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's fun to do and i love to do that at that kind of high level but we're looking to to compact all of that wisdom into the foundation program as well so that you can begin to get those insights really the very begin beginning almost like um you know i'll be going to play some golf over the bank holiday right and um you know, I know my swing's not perfect and I wish if I could change it, I'd have gone back right at the beginning and got the good fundamentals really at the beginning. Now I'm just a sort of a clumsy old geezer, you know, <laughs> pushing the ball around with a sort of mid-handicap. But I wish I'd done it right and I didn't mm. because I thought I could DIY my way around a golf course and you can't do that and nor can you do it well. No, that sounds like a good place to end things for today. Kevin. Okay. So next time we must get some uh, case studies, right? Because we now know... We are in control of our own personal economy. We don't care what happens to interest rates. We care to understand it, but we don't really worry about that. We don't really worry about the stock market because we can control our own personal life. And we want to do that. And we will build the wealth in all of those different pillars. And why don't we bring some of our students to the table, you know, being interviewed, saying what they've done to give the real life examples to the theory we've been waffling on about for 14 episodes now, mm. Chris. Yeah. I think we need to get somebody else in on the on the story. What do yeah, you think? I think so. It reminds me of the Jim Rohn quote. It says the same wind blows on all of us. It's the set of the sail, which determines obviously the outcome. So the same things happen out there. The economy will do That's its thing. That's a good point. That's a good point. So it's down to taking control. Yeah. And... Being the value creator. Being the value creator. And, and that's what we'll be teaching all the way through the program. It just runs through the DNA of, of the whole thing, however we meet people. And we'll continue to give free value too. So, you know, I'm very comfortable that we continue to give as much information as we can to those people who just want to consume it at their own pace. Uh, but don't let the market determine when you start to build your own wealth. Just do it when you're ready. All right. Lesson from me. Next time, lessons from others. How about that? I like it. Thanks for tuning in today. We'll catch you on the next episode of Wealth Talk. See ya. See ya.